Welcome to The Reserve, a news and thoughts podcast from the Centralverse. I'm your host, Caleb Nygaard. Today is episode number 16, the day we have been waiting for, the very day that this podcast was born into existence, looking forward to, has finally arrived uh, this morning uh, with a little bit of a news scoop ahead of time, but not too much of a lead time there. Uh, we got the news that President Biden has chosen who will be the Fed chair uh, for the next four years. Uh, he also announced the vice chair um, for the board. And so that was, as everyone listening to this podcast knows, was Jay Powell and Leo Brainerd. So I just at the top wanted to say that although I anticipated that this might be just a short run kind of fun thing where I was just going to track the uh, the pick right from the the very beginning uh, all the way to the very end and then maybe end it. Uh, there's been enough interest uh, and I've had, I mean, even more important than the number of listeners, I've just had a, a fun time talking to, to different people about this. So the podcast is going to continue. So please continue to send uh, send me your Twitter DMs and, and emails uh, uh, reacting to the podcast as well as um, uh, sending in guest ideas for for the future. Always happy to to talk to people and um, and bring back people that have come. So uh, the podcast is not going away. And today I've got five FedNom hot takes, um, five questions uh, that I've been asked a lot today, and will I'm sure be continue to be asked uh, in the next couple of days. Uh, and so I'm going to run through uh, a few of my my takes, my response, my reaction to. Uh, the big announcement today. So, uh, number one, was it a surprise? Now, basically, the answer is is no. Um, but I think people, uh, I don't want people to forget that this truly was a two-person race, that Brainerd did have a serious chance here, uh, but she uh, was ultimately chosen uh, not to run uh, not to run the, the, the top position. The chair position went uh, to Powell. Now, uh, if so, it wasn't a surprise that Powell was picked, but it also wouldn't have been a surprise if Brainerd had been picked either. Now, the Brainerd uh, position was a small surprise, and I think the going concern, the going uh, uh, suspicion was that Brainerd would take the vice chair for supervision position. Um, now, here's what my suspicion is as to what happened and this isn't based on any inside information, but just my suspicion. And that is when she was not given the top job, she was basically asked what position she wants. And she could have taken the vice chair of supervision position if that was the position that she wanted. But my suspicion is that she did not want that job. Now, the general view of and the kind of narrative arc of this has uh, has placed her as a, a fierce supervision um, advocate, and I, you know, based that's based up partly on her her uh, dissenting votes against the Quarles-led um, uh, supervision uh, position at the Fed. From now, I just, uh, but I think that arc got overplayed because that was one of the very few differences between her and Powell. So I think that was slightly overplayed, and I think as we think about where is Brainerd going next, this vice chair for the board of governors is more valuable to her than the vice chair for supervision on a couple of reasons. And I'm going to give two right here at the top. The first is the job itself. Um, I think that the, uh, the uh, basically, you know, kind of Powell's right hand, which is the vice chair position, doesn't give her a lot of specific jobs, 
all uh, it basically she couldn't you know she runs meetings when Powell's not there is basically the extent of uh, of that a formal job uh, but it allows her to be in all of the important meetings about all of the Fed's um, portfolio of responsibility so it allows her to be broad broad it allows her to make an impact right away um, it allows her to uh, to be able to uh, speak from that senior broad position of leadership from the Fed. The second, you know, it leads a little bit more to her uh, her strengths as well that has been that has been talked about in that, you know, she's a monetary economist and and that's where her, her tr- formal training has been. And although she's had great comments in supervision, um, I don't think it's too hard to assume that that's not necessarily where her heart resides. The second thing is that Brainerd the, the job of supervision for uh, the job of vice chair for supervision is one whose work is going to be felt in the medium and long term. And, and Stephen and I have talked about this on the podcast before. Others have mentioned it. It's not like the new vice chair for supervision, even if they're a very progressive candidate, are going to come in on day one and rip up all of the stuff that has happened in the last four years. That's not how the Fed works. Um, that's not how how, how agency, these government agencies really work. So it was going to take time. The project she was going to be working on would be long-term. And I think most people view Brainerd as, as, as moving on uh, possibly quickly. You know, she could be the next chair in four years uh, if there's another Democratic administration in power at that point. But even quicker than that, she could be the next Secretary of the Treasury. And Janet Yellen may leave after the midterms of next year. She's, um, you know, she was brought out of retirement, uh, kind of a, a, a dark horse candidate for the Treasury position last minute. And Brainerd was, according to reporting, one of the top candidates for that position as well. So, I think for those two reasons, uh, although it was a surprise that Brainerd took that job, kind of in hindsight, these are the two reasons that I can see uh, why that might make sense for her. Question number two, hot take number two, where were the progressives? So this is, I think, my hottest of takes. And that is that I just think that in so many ways, the progressive movement have, despite losing many battles, they've never been afraid to pick a battle that they that they fear they may lose in order to shift the context, to shift the conversation, shift the window, to, you know, to win the war, even if they 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 lose the battles. And I just didn't see that happen uh, in this Fed personnel race, not in the vice chair for supervision position, not for the chair position, nothing. I just didn't see a coalition of progressives build towards what it is that they wanted for the Fed. Um, there was Warren's apparently off the cuff um, or almost off the cuff, just dangerous man comment, which kind of backfired. And I sort of hope that dangerous man is the title of Powell's eventual memoir. Um, but it wasn't just Warren, you know, the, the, the squad, the, 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 the very progressive members in the house wrote a letter um, kind of bashing on, on some of the, the, of Powell's actions and, and Powell himself, but they didn't offer very, they didn't offer any alternatives. They, I, they, some hand waving towards some policy actions and more climate stuff, more of things like that, but there wasn't anything specific and there definitely wasn't any personnel conversation. I don't understand why the progressive movement wasn't willing to, to come behind somebody. And I've, I've talked to a few people and, and have a few ideas, uh, but I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from this, uh, this Fed chair race 
And this round of nominations is just the, the utter failure of the progressive movement uh, to, to have a real impact here. So we still have a few nominations open and we're gonna talk about those in a minute. Um, so, you know, maybe they'll go there or maybe they're waiting for the personnel to come and get through. And then, and then you know, knowing that these are democratic appointees, they will at least be open to hearing from the progressive side. Uh, but as far as the personnel goes, I just, I, 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 it's been a question I've had for a long time. And I think today was just the exclamation point at the end of, of the sentence that the progressives didn't really show up to this, to this race in any kind of cohesive or productive way. Take number three, question number three, how will the Powell Brainerd nomination process go? There's been great reporting and great Twitter back and forth counting votes and such. Um, I just wanted to highlight that I've got a spreadsheet that includes um, every Fed chair nomination, Senate votes, everything going all the way back to the founding of the Fed. And so you can see uh, some different things. You know, Chair Powell is joining a select group of Fed chairs that have been nominated by three presidents or more. Uh, in fact, I, I believe he'll be the only one with three uh, after this one. And uh, both uh, William McChesney Martin uh, uh, Jr. got was in four presidents and um, Greenspan was also in, but nominated by four presidents. So he's, he's joining a small group. And uh, just to kind of rattle off the last three confirmation votes, uh, his governor vote in 2012 was, he got 74 voted for him uh, in 2014. So two, two years later, he got 67 votes. And then his chair vote was 84 in favor. And so we expect that to come below then, but from what I've heard, we expect in the high 60s to up to mid 70s. So even Senator Toomey came out in favor of Powell this time. I presume some, they'll lose some Democrats. They won't get some Republicans, but uh, easily will will clear. And then Brainerd, the votes are still being counted. I think a lot of people were focusing on would she have the votes to get the Fed chair position? And there were open questions about that. I think there were even some senators that had not yet made their, up their mind as to whether or not they would have voted for a Brainerd chair position. Um, but I, I haven't seen anything to indicate that she won't make this vice chair position. And I'll just say to underline, it's a point I've made before, but that the worst case scenario would have been for the Biden administration to nominate someone, maybe even Brainerd, uh, and then get an not be able to come up with the votes. We're just coming down to the lap, to the wire. Uh, I think there were positive reasons for Biden to wait to make these nominations, um, but uh, one downfall is he doesn't have time to build up the voting uh, base within the Senate. Hot take number four, question number four, what about the remaining vacancies? This is, I believe, uh, maybe the, my second hottest take, and that is just, I think this was a, a big miss by the administration, but not in the way that most people are talking about. And most, most of the people seem to be talking about like the actual work as if uh, in the next month or two, the vice chair of supervision is, you know, having that person in the position is gonna make a huge difference on the medium or long-term uh, effect of, of the direction of this division and the direction of the Fed as re regards to its responsibility and supervision. And I just don't see that. Um, I, and so I, I, although I think it's a miss, I don't think it's a miss because of the actual work that's being done even a couple of months ago. I just don't think that even six months makes that big of a difference in, in the long term um, or even the medium term. What I think the miss is, is that 
you know, Biden, he, he believes in this definition of Fed independence, and there are many definitions of Fed independence, but he's a believer of the one that says that the, the White House basically just doesn't comment on monetary policy and other direct Fed actions. So since that's Biden's working uh, definition of Fed independence, as far as we can tell, the only place that he really has a public influence, emphasis on the word public, um, but the only place he has public influence on the Fed is on, is through this nomination process, and he has lots of not and he has lots of um, uh, audiences when he makes these nominations, and he has you know con Congress and he has the public and he has the Fed itself and he has financial markets, and I think with all of these, Biden has now missed a huge opportunity to nominate a package of nominees you know, four or five people that can completely reshape the vision for what the Fed does, where it's going, and what its priorities are. You know, he left these three seats open. He shifted the two, Powell from chair, stays in chair, Brainerd switches from just a regular governor to a to the board vice chair uh, um, position. But he's still got the open Judy Shelton seat. He's got his seat that her nomination was going for and then that failed. Praise the heavens. Um, he's got, you know, Quarles is leaving uh, uh, at the end of the year. And uh, Clarita is, is leaving um, in January. And so he's got these three seats that he could have filled more. He said in his announcement that he'll announce them in December. But I just don't think that that's going to break through to any of the constituencies, any of the audiences except for the very small group of senators that care, that have to, by nature of their position on the banking committee or whatever, um, to pay attention to this. Uh, so although Biden has said um, that these three, you know, diversity will be an important part, uh, I'm just afraid that they're not going to get that much attention. The debt uh, ceiling is going to be the conversation. The holidays are in full swing. And I just don't think they're going to break through. So this was really missed opportunity by President Biden to really put forward into the public's eye, grab the public's attention, grab markets attention, grab the entire Congress and say, this is what I envision as the role of the central bank under, um, you know, my term. So they'll still get to do that. It'll be delayed. And I think the punch that it'll deliver will be much softer than it could have been. Finally, final question. What does this mean for the future of the Fed? All right, and I got a couple of, of points that I'm gonna talk about in regards to the future of the Fed. Uh, this, you'll, it'll echo some of the topics that I brought up with Matt Iglesias um, um, last week. So the first is, you know, what does this mean for the ethics report? And I bring this up first for a reason in that I don't want us to lose focus on this. This is a huge deal for the Fed. And this next year is going to be very important as this regards, you know, Boston and Dallas are actively picking their reserve bank uh, presidents right now. I expect Boston to announce before the end of the year, at least that would be the smart thing to do because Boston has a vote on the FOMC next year. So they should get their person in, uh, in within time to, to make those votes on, you know, this is such an important time for the FOMC and for deciding how quickly to taper, how quickly to increase rates, how what data are we looking at when determining how to how to you know lift these rates without crashing the economy or without dampening the the return so uh so i expect boston to to get somebody soon dallas last week announced that they're going to be 
uh, they've actively begun looking as well. And then next year, keep uh, you Fed watchers, keep your ears open. In the next, uh, I don't know, maybe six months or so, I expect the Chicago Fed and the Kansas City Fed to announce that they've begun searching for new uh, bank presidents for those reserve banks, uh, because both Charlie Evans and Esther George uh, age out at, uh, in January of 2023. So we'll get four new reserve bank presidents in the next year. Um, and so, you know, we're still waiting on the inspector general's report for the ethics stuff, but I expect that to be an important part of the next year is this relationship between the board and the reserve banks. It's definitely been damaged. And how does this work out in the next year? Or so it's gonna be really important. The second thing is just inflation as, you know, viewed through this new framework. It's really delicate. It would have been no matter who was the chair, but this is, the, this is gonna be the big story. At their core, central bankers are inflation fighters and they have been for a really long time, even before uh, Volcker. Um, and although they are at their core inflation fighters, what they're trying to do right now is trying to figure out how can we fight this current inflation? How can we maintain stable prices in, in the medium and long term without killing the jobs or the growth of the growth momentum of, of the economy? And they're trying a new strategy and the strategy is unproven, um, so, but it's in the testing works right now. And so, you know, I, I don't think the current announcement has made any difference on this, on this reg as regards uh, this stuff. And as we have mentioned on the podcast before, Powell and Brainerd would basically respond the same way now. So uh, the third is the next framework review. Again, I'm thinking long-term here. Uh, this is now we have the leadership of the Fed, the senior leadership, those two uh, being the most important positions in regards to the framework review, which will begin in 2023, get full steam in 2024, and then we'll get another announcement about the next framework or a continuation of the current framework with maybe some tweaks or amendments, maybe not. Uh, that'll happen in 2025. And so, you know, this is the, this is the team that's going to be doing, that's going to be making these really critical and important positions uh, and, and making these critically important decisions. Now, the last thing about the future of the Fed, I'm just going to hit these really quick because I want to be think I want the audience to be thinking about uh, four topics or jobs that others want the Fed to be more actively involved in, others say they should be left, less involved in. Um, and I'm just gonna go through them you know, very quickly. The first is the future of money. Next couple of years are gonna be really important um, in, in, the, in the future of money. And this is gonna include real-time payment stuff like FedNow, which we really need to see out there, get out there and get, uh, get going. Uh, and then also the uh, crypto CBDC, central bank digital currency, stuff is going to be uh, very important. And Brainerd, having taken the vice chair in the, of the board, uh, will allow her to be more involved in those two things if she wants to, um, than she would have been able to if she had been the vice chair of supervision. Number two, racial inequality. Now this one, and by the way, I'm ranking these kind of in the, whether or not the degree to which the Fed is going to act. Racial inequality is number two of the four, mostly because I think this is something, racial inequality, the Fed working on and, and looking at these different, you know, the, the, the disparities in the unemployment rate, something that I think the Fed is paying attention to now more than they ever have been. And they're going to continue to do so as they come out of this, uh, uh, of the pandemic um, recession, which was quite short lasted, but we're not quite 
back to where we were on many of these metrics. And so the Fed is, is genuinely paying attention to these racial inequities. Um, and they have, you know, they're, they have these tools that they're looking at that, you know, they have these, how are our interest rate decisions affecting these minority communities and, and those gaps, like they're just paying attention to it more than they have in the past. And I don't think they'll go as far as saying things like, you know, maybe targeting the, the black unemployment rate or, or something as granular as that, but I know they're paying attention to it more than they have. And it's weighing on their decisions for raising rates more than it ever has. Number three, climate. Now this one's number three out of four, and it's not a matter of whether or not the Fed is going to make climate actions, right? Biden today in his announcement of the nominations included specifically that climate was a priority. And Powell himself talks about uh, climate being uh, uh, something that the Fed is, gonna, is going to act on. So the question is not if, but it's, the question is by how much. And I am sympathetic to the view that that depends mostly on Congress. Now, it doesn't depend on Congress in the explicit, direct way that often is referred to, right? The Fed doesn't need to wait for Congress to explicitly say, Fed, do this as regards to um, your, you know, uh, lending facilities with international uh, central banks or do this in regards to safety and soundness um, examinations of banks. Send, you know, they don't have to wait for the Congress to tell the Fed, you know, do this, start doing climate um, uh, stress tests and things like that. Like I, what the Fed needs to see in my, in my opinion is this Fed needs to see that they're not going to be completely clobbered by a good portion of Congress for uh, for taking actions in climate. And so it just needs a temperature change. And I think that has been happening and it's why you know the, 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 the central bank is moving in that direction. But I think if I was a climate activist, my attention would be focused more on Congress than on the Fed, because I believe that the reason the Fed isn't going as fast as they are is because of the hesitancies on Capitol Hill. But in order for the Fed to make more actions, Capitol Hill doesn't need to pass bills. They don't need to do you know, these huge actions. They just need to be less negative about it. I don't know if that's coming through quite as clear as I'd, as I'd like, but, um, but that's what we're gonna be looking for in climate from the Fed going forward. And the last one that, that, is, that I'm gonna talk about is wealth inequality. This one, I think, to be completely frank, and there was a PBS Frontline documentary about this with um, um, Karen Petro, I think was one of the big ladies that was, was on there. And I just, it's bonkers, right? The, we know how to fix wealth inequality. And if you made a list of the, the top 20 things that we needed to do with the, in order to fight wealth inequality, things like redistribution and, and taxes and more progressive tax system with less, le less loopholes and, and better enforcement and um, on individuals and on corporations. And, um, and, and uh, if you, we included things like uh, antitrust and, and, and Justice Department and, and actions in, in those areas on the state and on the, on the federal level, there's just so many tools that the government has and tools of the central bank, I don't know if they'd crack, they wouldn't crack the top 10. They may crack the top 20 near the bottom in the, in the high teens, but I just don't think that's something that the Fed is, is, is built to, to fight. 
But that doesn't mean that there aren't good things to do about wealth inequality. It's just that the Fed is probably not the right person. They're not, they're not the efficient entity to, to be doing those kinds of things. And to the degree that some of their emergency facilities increased wealth inequality, that was absolutely worth it because it brought up and it saved people's jobs. And it reopened the, it allowed the economy to reopen to a degree that wouldn't have been able to happen without the Fed. And so we need this work between the Fed able to respond, even if to a small degree it increases wealth inequality, even, and then we need the Congress and we need the White House and we need the Justice Department to be acting uh, on the other side to make sure that the distributive effects are, are optimal for society, which, uh, which I think is, 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 is what we need. So, so that's the four uh, four jobs that people are asking the Fed to do, and uh, I don't think that the the new announcements have affected this directionally in any of these very much. So again, the five the kind of five questions were: Was it a surprise? Where were the progressives? How will the nomination processes go now, that, or the the confirmation processes go for Powell and Brainerd? Uh, what about the remaining vacancies and what does this mean for the future of the Fed? So I'll wrap it there. You know, let me know. I love hearing the feedback. So the degree that you uh, agree with me or, or disagree, I'd love to hear it. Uh, so reach out to me on Twitter at Caleb Nygaard and we'll wrap it there. Until next time, thanks for listening. The podcast continues.